0: It's another episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Brad Lominick, stepping in for Ray in partnership with Ray Johnston and the entire team. By the way, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, make sure you listen, go back and subscribe to the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast, first of all, but listen to all the previous episodes. There's some great conversations, some great interviews, great content. And in this episode, Ray is going to tackle Uh, what is uh, needed by all of us, uh, a a really in-depth perspective, deep dive into what's happening in our culture right now. And this was a message he recently gave at Bayside Church called Separation of Church and Hate. And we all know that timing at this season, we're in October, we've got something coming up the first week of November that I won't even mention, but uh, this is a This is just a a tough time for all of us as followers of Jesus, as believers, as citizens. And so in this message, Ray really unpacks in a helpful way, you know, what what our perspective should be and as we as we lead and as we live in this season. Again, this is a a recent message that was uh, part of Bayside Church. And so we're gonna let this roll. Get your moleskin out, buckle up your seatbelt call your friends, get your team in the in the conference room, even if it's virtually, watch this together. I think it's going to be helpful. And then uh, we'll have a few things to talk about once we come back out of this message from Ray Johnston, the separation of church and hate.
1: So let me set the stage for why we're doing this, why we're doing this three weeks early, and why we'd like to give you as many tools as we can to unleash Um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen an Adam Sandler movie. However, if you've seen an Adam Sandler movie, uh, you probably were not watching the Academy Awards. However, they are very popular. He had one out a few years ago, and it was called Click. And they actually had a remote control and the remote control didn't control a TV; it controlled time. And so you could hit fast forward, and it would fast forward time. So he gets in a fight with his wife. She's nagging him. He hits fast forward. Thirty minutes later, it's done. He hasn't had to go through it, and um, and he's happy with this remote until it gets out of control. And the reason I'm bringing that up is every single person leading anything in America right now wishes they could grab a time control remote and remote control right past the election. Okay, probably to Thanksgiving. And the reason is, uh, and there's three reasons, but number one is this, I have never ever I've been in ministry for almost 50 years now of some sort I have never seen Christians act like this I have never seen Christians this divided I have so number one is the the level of Christians not just divided but actually condemning each other drawing conclusions about each other tearing the church apart Um, number one is this second is this I have never seen this many people take politics and put it before their faith instead of keeping their faith in front of politics and I am talking to people and it is non-stop politics and the the, the reason that's so pervasive is this Um, social media has become the number one determining factor for how most people think If you haven't watched it, if you haven't watched it yet, watch. You can see it on Netflix. It's called The Social Dilemma. And it's an amazing experience to watch this thing. And it is by people that built the social media platforms that are now talking about how evil and divisive it is. For example, in there, they point out, if you and I ask the same question, we get all different answers. So all you have to do is say, global warming is... And if you are a conservative, they will flood you with conservative views. If you are on the left, they will flood you with views from the left, which means most people are getting more and more polarized and they are being fed it. And we are now in the divided states of America. And the third reason this is so serious for the church is this, there is power in unity. There is power in unity. I mean, Jesus made a big deal about it. In John 17, he prayed we would be one. I love what Larry Crabb said a few weeks ago. And I would go to the, if you haven't seen this, um, go get the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast and back up to the interview with Larry Crabb. It was genius. One of the things he said is there was a time in the Old Testament where God, God actually was afraid. And he said, God looked down and was afraid that they were were heading in the direction of evil. Evil was going to take over the human race. And to prevent them from taking over and having power, God at the Tower of Babel zapped them with different languages. Basically, God destroyed their unity because somehow, Larry Crabb said it was brilliant, he said, when people are unified, they can make anything happen. When the church is unified, it can make amazing things happen. Five times, the first five chapters of the book of Acts, it says they were in one accord. When you have the power, that you will have the power that is in the book of Acts. Only when we have the unity that is in the book of Acts. And Christians these days are letting their churches be torn apart. And by the way, another side note on this, if you tell I'm fired up about this. Political parties are making a lot of money, making you afraid and filling you with anger. And the reason is this. Well, if you can make people afraid, if you can terrify them about the future, if you can convince them the people that disagree are evil, you will send them all kinds of money. And all, so they are, political parties are having a field day dividing this country and tearing this country apart. And I've never seen it come into the church to the degree it, it has come into the church. Okay, um, And so what we decided to do about this was put together a global message. And this may help your own soul. It may help your church. um, And this is just not my voice. We have included in this global message, um, Andy Stanley, Chris Brown, Bob Goff, Jason Kane, and the late Bishop Sherwood Carthen closes the message. And then a lot of it is from me. And then we have dovetailed clips of some brilliant things that these other Christian leaders from around the country are saying. And we wanted to come up with something. We are actually showing this on this weekend. We're kind of giving people advanced prep for the election. We are are giving them this message um, a, a few weeks before the election. We're hoping that it helps people think well so that they live well and feel better. And, and so what we decided to do is we're releasing a global message. And you have a couple, well, number one, why a global message? Um, when we did the Thrive Conference, it went to a, almost a half million people. It went to 113 countries. And so we thought we have some things to say to Christians about not losing their hearts or unities or selling their soul for politics. And, and so we decided to release a global message. Um, You are welcome to see it. Matter of fact, it'll, it'll occur right now. You, you will, you can go get it. Uh, We have also, if you want to, here's the deal. Those of you that are preaching and teaching, uh, whether it's a, whether it's a church Bible study, whatever you're doing, you are welcome to steal this message. If you steal it in Jesus's name. Okay. We have made the outline available. We have made the entire message available, and we have made all the video clips available for you to download and use and send these. And you can forward this message to whoever you want. Um, But we decided to do a message, and the title of the message is The Separation of Church and Hate and as you'll hear in the message we tried to create a tool that people could use for the next 3 to 4 weeks um, it starts by admitting that christians are divided on everything i mean christians these days can't agree on every on on almost anything i mean if you're in northern california dodgers giants okay um, you know 49ers raiders trump Biden, okay, couples can't even agree whether toilet paper should roll over or roll under. I mean, people are deeply divided. Everybody though, agrees on one thing. I can't wait until the election's over. That's the only thing people are agreeing on. So what we do is part one of this message walks people through the, uh, it's it's two major questions. Question number one is this, if you're a Christian and you wanna build a better world, lead people to Christ, build a world where every single person in it has the ability to thrive? How do you change the world? And we go back to the book of Acts and to the example of Paul and Jesus and go, how did the early Christians change the world when they had no political power whatsoever? And we unpack one major theme, and then we walk through Jesus and Paul, and we basically say, they did four things. Things And we unpack each one of these four things in depth because I actually the early Christians were doing four things that today's Christians are not doing. Okay, for example, okay, um, one of the, I'll just give you the first one. One of the things they did was this, the early Christians built bridges to people that they disagreed with most, Okay. And and I'll unpack that whole point in this message. But they built bridges to people that didn't look like them, believe like them. They built bridges to people that didn't vote like them. That is not happening. Now, I talked to a very angry Bayside person a while back. And I said, do you have any relationships whatsoever with people that don't look like you or live where you live? And he said, no. Okay. And another guy called me and he was hopping mad about something somebody said. And I, I said, I said, um, and he doesn't even go to our church. Okay? I said, I said, it sounds to me like you are only going to be comfortable in a church where everybody votes like you and everybody is white in your church. And he said, that is exactly the church I go to. Yeah. Okay? People, we got to be better than this. Wouldn't you agree? We have got to be better than this. And the church should not look like the divided states of America. It should look like heaven. So part one of this global message is Andy Stanley, Bob Goff, Jason Kane, and myself walking through here are the four marks of people that in the New Testament, they won their world for Christ, okay? We're not doing that. Maybe we should go back and do it the way they did in the early church. The second whole part is designed to be protective. Okay, And the second question in this message is this. The morning after, what do you have for breakfast Wednesday morning, November 4th? What do you have for breakfast? Okay, And we basically say we're pastors. One of the things you do, if you're pastors, you pastor the flock, you pastor the sheep. One of the role of every pastor or anybody caring about anybody is you want to protect people when they need to be protected. And so one of my goals in that was to protect people by giving them three things to make sure no matter who wins or whatever happens on November 3rd, three things that if, that to protect them, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. So I walk them through three things not to do just to protect them. And fundamentally, I really hope on this message, sorry about this long run you can tell I'm fired up about this. I really hope in this message that people will get their eyes back on God, back on the Bible, back on the promises of God. God will restore us to the days where we realize no politician is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ alone is the hope of the world. And if that's true, if God still is alive and has all the power, then COVID can't stop compassion and disruption in our culture can't stop discipleship, and a pandemic can't stop the purpose of God, and for God's sake, politics can't limit the power of God working in everybody's future. All of God's people said, amen. So John, back to you, but we'll roll that message. You are welcome to benefit from this yourself, or you are welcome to rip it off and use it, um, and or you're welcome to forward this to everybody you know. We actually hope that this calls Christians I don't know, to maybe act like Christians again. So, John, uh, that's back That's awesome.
0: Yeah, in fact, I, was, I was, had the uh, fortunate benefit to be in the room when it was recorded and very powerful. Um, I actually brought um, a 12-year-old girl that we're working with, uh, to, and she like took notes, talked about it afterwards. So very, very powerful. So we have the outline available for you if you'd like to get the outline. It uh, has all the notes on it. Um, we also have uh, this entire message will be available. Uh, for you to view or download. And then we will have all the clips separated so you can download those and use those. Those will be available on the Thrive Conference resource page. We'll put the link here in the chat and you can grab all that. So we're gonna roll it now over to you, Erica.
1: Uh, Hey, friends, it's Pastor Ray. It is a privilege to talk to you. This is a global message, the first one we have done in a very, very long time. And the reason we are doing a global message, and you will be hearing from a lot of different people. For example, you'll be hearing from Andy Stanley and Chris Brown and Bob Goff and my friend Sherwood Carthen, who passed away a few years ago, Jason Kane and myself. This is a global message from multiple voices about one subject, the separation of church and hate. The reason we are doing this message is this. America is more divided than I have ever seen. Matter of fact, you got to agree on this. Americans right now can't agree on anything. And I can actually test this right now, wherever you are, just out loud. Here we go. For example, check this out. Coke or Pepsi. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Um, Another one is this. Dodgers or Giants. Okay. Yeah, everybody, everybody's yelling giants. Um, I'm a lifelong Dodger fan because there was one giant in the Bible. God wanted him dead. And I'm just trying to obey the Bible. Another one is this, 49ers Raiders, okay? Everybody's got an opinion on that in Northern California. Trump or Biden, don't say a thing, okay? Um, and here's one, even married couples, toilet paper, does it roll over or roll under? Or a lot of you guys just going, oh, it doesn't really matter. I just set that thing on the floor. Or... Do you open your Christmas presents on all on Christmas Eve? Anybody there? All on Christmas morning. Or you're going, no, I open one on Christmas Eve, the other on Christmas morning, like the Bible says. Nobody in America can agree on anything except for this. Everyone agrees on this. I can't wait until this election is over. I can't wait until this election. Things have gotten so bad. If I can just talk from the heart here. Things have gotten so bad. It is heartbreaking to watch Christians torn apart, families torn apart, our nation torn apart. That's impacting the world being torn apart. I have never seen it like this in all my years. I don't think anybody ever imagined a day like this. Matter of fact, it's so bad. More than four in 10 Democrats or Republicans Actually say this, the other parties are so misguided, they actually pose a threat to the nation. So we have decided to do a global message to try to do some healing in the divided states of America. And this may help heal your family. It may help you. And I actually want to do a scripture reading from a crisis time in a nation in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah chapter 29 begins with these words. This is the text of the letter. You already hear the word of God? This is the text of a letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other peoples Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The nation is in crisis, and this great prophet Jeremiah writes a letter to people in crisis, a nation that's been disrupted and writes these words and the healing words from Jeremiah just could heal our city, some families, a state, the country, and maybe the world. And verse four, here's what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to those I carried from exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he says. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. By the way, that's kind of personal to me. Since COVID, we've had a granddaughter, a grandson, and one of our daughters get engaged. So this is feeling pretty relevant. And then it's a, here's a great phrase, increase in number, do not gr- decrease. Christians, increase in number, do not decrease, verse seven. Also, this is a great phrase, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, You will prosper. That's why we're doing this message, okay? And then he says this, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. He says, Watch out. There will be very subtly deceptive religious people in these days. He says, Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. What he's saying is this: be very careful to listen to somebody that's telling that you are telling what to say. And then he says, They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. God is saying, no matter how bleak things look, I always keep my promises. And then he says this verse. So for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you future and a hope. People, that is the word of God. Every single word in here, we bear witness. This is true. Let us be inspired by the word of God. Let us submit to the word of God and let us be transformed by the word of God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to ask A couple of questions. Question number one is this. How do I change the world? Now, here's the problem right now. Some people have got two answers. In other words, going, hey, I want to be a political church, okay? Let's change the world by being totally absorbed by politics. And every week, did you hear about this? You hear about this, okay? And you ditch the Bible teaching, talk about politicians instead of Jesus, and let's be a political church. Or, Other people are going, I go to the other extreme, which is this. What's this about politics? I thought we weren't a political church. Now, I've written something because I don't want to be I want to be carefully understand. Our pastors have gone after this. This is a global message to all of our churches and those of you around the world watching. I want to say this very carefully. I'm not saying political positions and platforms don't matter. Values need to be sharpened. Great changes need to be brought about. Great, people need to be put in charge. Our country needs to be moved toward being a place where every single child and adult ever created by God needs to be given equal opportunity to thrive regardless of race, economic condition, and background. People need to grow up in a world that is safe. People need to grow up in a world where they can thrive. And that will never happen in times where it's being torn apart. You do not put a country together by tearing it apart, and you have been assaulted by both sides and on social media by people that are just trying to tear this thing apart. I I told you, we have multiple messages cutting into here. Andy Stanley said something so mature and so wise recently, I wanted you to hear this, check this out.
2: Are you familiar with this, the fundamental attribution Error. Anybody, just raise your hand, anybody heard of the fundamental attribution error? Yes, virtually nobody. Good. I like to know things you don't know because it makes me look smart. So anyway, <laughs> the fundamental attribution error is actually a cognitive bias that we have all been sucked into, especially during a political season, and it goes like this. The co- the, this, this cognitive bias causes us to attribute people's behavior to their character, The reason he acts that way is because that's what he really is, and that's who he really is. The reason she behaves that way and the reason she believes that way is because that's an indication of who she really is on the inside. But we don't do that when it comes to our behavior. When it comes to us, we attribute our behavior to circumstances and environmental factors. Let me give you an illustration. So he's late. That guy, you know, he's late. That guy at work, he's late. You know why he's late? Because he's lazy, and he's irresponsible, and he's just disorganized. That's why he's late. And then you're late. And you've never once looked in the mirror. So you know what the problem is? I'm lazy and I'm irresponsible and I'm just disorganized. No, just the the opposite for you. You've decided the reason I'm late is because I was helping my kids get ready for school. The reason I'm late, I was on the phone with a friend. I'm actually very organized and very responsible. In fact, I'm so organized and responsible, I'm late. Right? This is how it works. The fundamental attribution bias happens when we assume that a person's actions reflect what kind of person they really is, what kind of person she is, rather than social and environmental factors. And we talked a lot about this last week. So when it comes to the political scene, this is what it sounds like. The corrupt Democrats. They're just corrupt. You know why they act that way? They're corrupt. That's their character. They're all corrupt. The heartless Republicans, you know why they vote that way? You know why they believe that way? Because I've met all of them. I've done research. I know every single Republican is heartless. They're heartless. No, you're corrupt. No, you're heartless. No, you're corrupt. No, you're heartless. No, you've all been sucked into this cognitive bias. Well, clearly something's wrong with these people, right? Something's wrong deep on the inside, right? The Democrats are all socialists. I mean, we know they are. Well, the Republicans are all racist. They won't admit it, right? You're not going to admit they're racist, but we know they're racist. We can see their hearts, every single one of them. Now, I hate to burst your bubble, and you're going to hate me for this, so hate me now, but then over lunch, you know, kind of think about this. Mature, emotionally intelligent, curious, empathetic people, they don't fall for that. But political rhetoric feeds this. And political rhetoric grabs us by the nose and leads us into saying all kinds of silly things and believing all kinds of silly things that just aren't true. And you're better than
1: that. And I'm better than that. I love that phrase. We have got to be better than that. Because the question is this. If you're a Christian at the deepest level of your life, the question I've got to answer is this. How do I change the world? I am here on planet Earth for a short season and then we'll spend billions of years in eternity. How do I live here to make a maximum eternal impact for all of eternity? In other words, how do I make my faith count? How do I make my life count? And I want to give you one global point and here it is. The problem in America right now is this. Most people are settling for making a point instead of making a difference. Most people are settling for making a point instead of making a difference. Now, if you don't remember anything else out of this message, remember this. It is always easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. Every parent knows this, okay? Lecture your kids, make all the points you want. Nothing ever changes, but you feel better because I'm yelling at my kids making a point. Um, Every preacher knows this. We decided a long, long time ago, we want to be a church that God uses to make a difference. Because the problem with this really making a difference does three things. Making a difference takes longer. Making a difference costs more, and making a difference requires sacrifice. And here's what's amazing. When I read the Gospels, and I read the book of Acts, and I read the epistles of Paul, they actually give us a roadmap on how to do it, and the roadmap, they did four things. The four things they did actually changed the entire Roman Empire, and within 300 years, against all odds, with no resources, no rights, and no power, the Roman Empire embraced Christianity. Think about it, Christians, Christians without any ability to make a point toppled a religious system that had been in place for a couple of thousand years. And the way they did that was this. Instead of making a point, they decided to make a difference. Now, realize that making a difference is a whole different strategy than just making a point. So I just want to ask one question and give you four points. Here we go. Number one is this. The early Christians changed the world by building bridges to people they disagreed with most. They built bridges to people they weren't even supposed to build bridges with. Acts chapter 17, I have been in Athens. I have been up to the Acropolis, okay? Um, I mean, the Parthenon, up there. The apostle Paul shouldn't even be there. He's raised Jewish. It's against his background. Idols weren't allowed. They wouldn't even write the word God. And Paul goes into Athens and he walks right into their world, builds relational bridges with these people, and he does not attack their idols, hey, see, you guys are all religious. And then instead, he positively preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? In other words, they built bridges to people that they disagreed with most. That's, for the most part, not happening. When COVID shut everything down in March, it broke my heart. We um, let go of our Thrive Conference and then we started dreaming some God dreams and said, could we launch this thing globally online? That's why a lot of you are with us from around the world today watching this. And what happened is it blew up to about a half million people, 113 countries. And, um, and it was a privilege on the first day to host a panel on this very subject of building bridges to people that they disagree with most. And Jason Kane, uh, one of our pastors from Blue Oaks, Jason Cade said something so wise. It's the smartest thing I've heard in six months. Check this out.
3: I mean, anything that I am is a result of my parents. I hit the jackpot on who my parents are, uh, people who follow God with their whole hearts. Uh, But that still hasn't abdicated us from experiencing racism, to be quite frank. We were attending a church predominantly white in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, before we joined the church, my dad met with the pastor and says, hey, would my family be welcome here? And the pastor says, of course, your family would be welcome here. But then he made a statement that would shape the rest of my life. And he said, I would never want your son to marry my daughter. Mm. Now, at the time I was 10 years old, I wasn't thinking about marriage. So the statement was (laughs) unnecessary anyway. (laughs) But he put it out there just to make it clear that there is a distinction between who you are and who we are. A us and them mentality within the church. And unfortunately, uh, that really created within me some insecurity, particularly around white males, to be frank, that I dealt with until I was 26 years old because I removed myself as much as I could from settings where I wasn't just around my own people. Uh, But at 26, I started working at a predominantly white church and I was able to forge relationships with people. And this is what I found, that when you are in relationship with people, when you're in close proximity to them, you're able to develop empathy And that empathy eventually leads to unity. Uh, We don't hide who we are. We recognize our differences, but we figure out a way to be empathetic toward one another and hear one another's story. I mean, that's the story of what the gospel is. Jesus got close to us to share our burdens and that's what we have to do with other people as well.
1: I'm sitting next to Jason Kane at that conference. And when he said, proximity leads to empathy, which leads to unity. I literally was going, I was almost shaken. I thought, this is so profound. It's deeply theological because it's the incarnation. God wanted to connect with us, and he created proximity to us. And most people are so divided geographically, uh, politically, or whatever else. They have no relationships with people that don't look like them, think like them, vote like them. So there's no understanding and no coming together. Um, the early Christians didn't live like that they walked into environments with people that were in a very different place and they built relational bridges to people, which then creates empathy and that can create unity. And actually it's the the closer you are to people. The greater your potential for impact. Number one, they built bridges to people that they disagreed with most. Second thing they did to change the world was this. They were constantly at odds with religious people. that they, they agreed with most. Jesus had majority of his trouble put to death because of religious people that for the most part believed almost the same things that Jesus did, okay? However, they had their different approach. And here's what I want to say. I know some of these folks And so do you. There are Christians that have a Bible and they use it to beat people up every day. The Bible is supposed to do two things in our life. It's the word of God. Every word in here is accurate and to be lived and submitted to. The Bible though is this. It is a message book. It's our message, what we believe, what we teach, but it is also our method book, which is it tells us how to live, sacrificial giving, connecting with people, all of this stuff. In other words, it's our message book and our method book. And the problem, one of the problems in the American church is this, a lot of folks that lean more conservative, this is my message book, or other people that are on the other spectrum are going, no, 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 this is my method book but I don't take the message seriously because it's politically incorrect. When the Bible becomes both your message, what you believe and your method, what you live all of a sudden, it is like taking two live wires together and the power of God explodes in your life. Jesus saved his harshest words for people that held to tight doctrinal differences, but they had no love. They were called the Pharisees. They, Jesus was constantly at odds with the religious people that theologically agree with most, okay? There's a third thing they did, and here it is. They didn't try to police the behavior of people outside the faith. How do you change the world? They didn't do it by trying to police the behavior of people outside. In other words, they didn't judge non-Christians for behaving like non-Christians, and unfortunately, Christians are great at this. They've perfected this to the degree it hits TV shows. There's a TV show called The Simpsons. Can okay, anybody see that thing? Yeah, The Simpsons. You got Homer Simpson, and then you had their religious neighbors, the Christians, the Flanders living next door. One day, the Flanders disappeared for a week, and they're all like, where'd they go? And when they got back, they always, you know, Homer Simpson went over and talked to Ned Flanders and said, hey, you guys were gone for a week. I want to know what, what happened. What, you guys okay? And he said, oh, here's his answer we were at a church camp for a week learning to be more judgmental. Unfortunately, that's perception sometimes rooted in some reality. And I want to make a couple statements here about the church of Jesus Christ, whether it is Midtown, Folsom, whichever church you are in right now, the church of Jesus Christ loses its influence on culture to the to the degree it tries to police the behavior of people who are not part of the church. In other words, the church shines brightest when Christians actually act like Christians. That's what it shines bright. That's a novel idea, right? And you never find it with the Apostle Paul. Paul didn't walk into Athens. Read Acts 17. He didn't walk into Athens and condemn their, for their idolatry. He walked in, connected with them, and preached the good news about Jesus Christ, okay? Well, some of you are saying, well, Ray, shouldn't we be concerned about people's behavior? Absolutely we should. That's why we should build relational bridges. That's why we do that. Now, how do you change the world? How do you make the world a better place? How do you explode the Christian faith again? Build bridges to people you disagree with most. That's hard. They were at odds with the religious people they built. They, they agreed with most. They didn't try to police the behavior of people outside the Christian faith. And four, I love this. They were committed to more than just being against everything. We've talked about this a lot at Bayside. We want to be known and I want to be known for what we're for, not what they're against. Now, why? Because we just want to be like Jesus, And here is how Jesus put it. Check this out. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The implication is this. The world is a dark place and it is in trouble. And God has put a light in the world. And guess what? You're it. And then he goes on to say this. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So so how do I be that light? Okay, evangelical, Bible-believing Christian. How does Jesus say to live so that you will be a light? Here it is. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. How does that happen? Right here, check it out. So that they may see your what? expressed opinions. No, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I think billboards are fine. You can put up billboards all day long for Jesus. It's not going to make a difference. It's just making a point. You want to be a light that attracts people, then I invade their world, build connections, and build bridges, which is exactly, this pandemic we are going through goes You can trace something like this back 2,000 years. The early Christians in Rome. This is actually in a book. Rodney Stark from Notre Dame wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And it is the story and tries to answer the question, why did the Christian church go through a tiny little persecuted group of people to toppling a religious system and becoming the dominant influence of the day in Rome? And here is the whole story in a nutshell. He said this. He said, a pandemic hit Rome. Sound familiar? A pandemic hit and people were dying in record numbers. And what did all the politicians do? And what did all the nobles do? They all fled the city to the countryside. And what did the Christians do? Christians like, we don't fear death. So they stayed. And hands-on care to hurting people, hands-on care to dying people. And when Emperor Julian finally returned, he was unable to get paganism going again. Christians were too moral. Christians were too compassionate. Christians were too involved. Christians kept taking care of the poor. Christians kept taking care of the widows. They were the ones doing all the compassion and good deeds. And they were so loved. He could not reignite paganism. In other words, people, if you don't remember anything, revival breaks out not when Christians become more religious, but revival breaks out when religious people become more compassionate and more caring, and more sacrificial and more bridge building. What what does that mean? Is it, let's outgive every other church in this city. Let's outserve everybody else. Let's shut down and continue to serve our community. Let's go to Mexico and build homes. Let's raise money for things going on in the city. Let's get hundreds more kids back in school and equipped to have a future they could never have. In other words, we will. Will make a point only if we make a difference. Um, My good friend and fellow crazy man, Bob Goff, put it like this. Check this out. So I've been on
4: this journey to try to just get more desperate for him, get less comfortable. So we've been just going around the world building schools. We took all the money from this book and just gave it away.
5: (laughs) It's been awesome, and they sold a million of them. So we built
4: our first school in Uganda. And the next school we built was in Mogadishu, Somalia. And you guys, it's just a frightening place. There's no government. There's no police. There's just a lot of El Shabaab. And these guys will shoot you in the face if they see you. And I was walking down the streets in Mogadishu, and this guy
5: comes up to me with a machine gun. And I'm like, oh my gosh. All I had with me was my my phone. And so I asked him, do you know what a selfie is? He didn't shoot me in the face. <laughs> oh, you guys find people who creep you out.
1: <laughs> Get on the other side. That is unbelievable. And the impact Bob is having where no other Christian have an impact is in direct proportion his ability to go there and bring the love of Jesus to those folks. Now, that is all one question. How did they change the world? I actually want to ask a second question and I'm actually going to come and sit down and have a fireside chat and pastor you all. Um, the I have a deep concern because every single thing I'm reading, Christians and people that aren't Christians um, are... In bad shape spiritually, emotionally, and every other way. Um, suicides at an all-time high, and one out of four teenage girls has considered suicide. This is a scary statistic. If you're our church, because we speak teenager, during this during this whole pandemic, um, I don't know any of our pastors worked many hours, um, and during this pandemic. Um, I mean, I was, a, I was a wreck when this happened. I was handed our first grandchild, a granddaughter, Amelia Ray. And four months later, I'm holding our first grandson, Raymond David. And same thing, I am a, people, I'm a, I'm a sap anyway. I call, I cry at Hallmark commercials. I'm, tears are streaming down my face. And I'm going, what kind of world's he going to grow up? And, and no matter what the conditions are, and too many people try to prepare the road for the kids instead of the kids for any road that happens. How is it that you build people that are strong and not a bad circumstance happen, and it wipes them out, wrecks their life, alcoholism and all this kind of stuff comes to in their lives? How do you build people that are emotionally, spiritually vibrant and strong and healthy on the inside and live with joy and don't endure life? They enjoy life and they are so filled with hope that they become change agents in our society. Those are the people we want to build here at Bayside. And folks, I'm the oldest guy on our staff. I'm uh, I'm probably the old. Matter of fact, you're probably way younger than me. No matter how old you are. I have seen it all. I've been in ministry for over 40 years. I mean, it's almost 50 years now, I've been in ministry. And if I can pass to you all, I just want to ask one question. On Wednesday morning, November 4th, the morning after the election, what do you do? No matter what, no matter who wins, no matter how encouraged or depressed you are, No matter what, early Christians face tough stuff. My grandkids are, my kids are. What do you do to be vibrant and hope-filled no matter what the circumstances are? And what I want to do is I just want to protect you all. I'm a a pastor. I'm a shepherd. We have a lot of churches. Um, I have a relationship with pastors all over the world now. I just want to protect you. So I want to give you three things to not do. These things are, if you, if this is so, it's going to be, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. These are so destructive that any one of these things can take you to a very bad place. Okay. So I want to protect you. I want to give you advice out of God's word. So Wednesday morning, no matter who wins, number one is this, don't get your eyes off Jesus. Don't get your eyes off Jesus. Matter of fact, The prophet Jeremiah, his country, went downhill. He was so shook, he writes a book titled Lamentations. Doesn't that sound like the encouraging book you want to read? Okay, Lamentations. And in that book, he is venting his frustration. And then all of a sudden, the sun comes up on Wednesday morning, November 7th, a couple thousand years ago. And he goes, wait, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have... Hope. The circumstances didn't change. His mindset changed. I'm going to say it again. His circumstances did not change. His mindset changed. His circumstances did not change. His mindset changed. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Write this down, screenshot this. Maybe put it in every room in your home before that day so you can't miss this. Keep your eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the hope of the world. Um, or, let me, pretty much what's going on right now is this. A lot of people, Jesus is becoming smaller in what they focus on and something else is becoming bigger. What happens when that happens? We asked Chris Brown that question, took him out on a boat, sent Andrew McCourt with him and a translator, Irish to English, and here's what happened. This is really good. North Carolina.
4: And when I got done, they said, hey, do you want to go over to Joe Gibbs Racing? Are you big a NASCAR? I go, I'm not big a NASCAR, but I like watching cars go around the track, especially when there's a lot yeah, of smoke. And turning and pieces. left yeah. and turning left and turning left. So we go over and I have no idea about NASCAR. It is just, it is a huge warehouse. I yes. mean, it's, I thought we'd go to a little garage. It is football fields of garages. Wow! He's got four different numbers, four different cars that race. Each car has between 30 to 60 cars in development for each one car. I just thought there was like one car and three in case you get it banged up. And so I'm learning about this and then we come down to all the decals they're wrapping on the car, the M&M car. M&M on the side, M&M on the hood and there's a bunch of little stickers all over and I'm like, well, how much does it cost to get your sticker on a car? Like what does M&M have to pay to sponsor a car. Mm. And uh, at that time, Farmer Insurance had just sponsored a car, and he goes, a six, I think $660,000. Wow. I go, so you have to pay $660,000 a year to get your sticker, you being the main brand. He goes, no, no, that's a race. <sighs> every race. Wow. Lower cars, maybe not as high profile, $300,000 to $600,000 to be the main sponsor every race. So my next question is simple. What about the little stickers on the back, the little ones down by the bumper? Yeah. You know, because I want my church side, to be on it. The yeah. Bayside. I thought it'd be cool to have a Bayside car going around the track. And I'm like, so can we get Bayside on a bumper? He goes, oh, the little stickers, you can be a little sticker for about $75,000. He goes, but they're placed on the back. They're placed on the bumper, places that don't get a lot of camera time. And that's exactly where we are politically today. Hmm. That's exactly what Jesus did in the temple. Christian... If you ever get confused where your sponsorship lies, um, mm-hmm. you've got a major issue with your priorities. You, ha- you are made in the image of God. Not only did he create us, he sent his son to die for us just to buy us back. We are stamped with his decal. It is a Christy end. The rest of my life, I'm supposed to show Christ and loving others. Yeah. Now it's okay to be a fisherman. It's okay to be a Patriot fan. It's okay to be a Dodger fan. It's okay to be a Democrat. It's okay to be a Republican. We got stickers for a lot of other things we're passionate about, but you'll never see in NASCAR. The little stickers are never put on top of the M&Ms. Never. Because that's the sponsorship. That's the sponsorship. And over the next two months, our Christianity is going to be stretched for a lot of people because their political sticker is going to get in the way of the image of God they're made in. Jesus will die that week. He wasn't afraid of Rome. He wasn't yeah. afraid of speaking about politics. You say, well, if he said something wrong, Rome would have killed him. He came to Jerusalem to die. Mm. He didn't fear them. He was just gonna choose what to die for. And that final week of his life, when they said, you talk about politics, he goes, I, I'm gonna come here and die for people, not politics. Yeah. And we will have Christians, unfortunately, in the next couple months that will sacrifice their character on the hill of politics, not people. And when your politics ever gets in the way of showing love to people, regardless of what party they're from, regardless of what point of view, if your politics ever gets in the way of loving someone because of your response, because of your answer, then you've got the wrong stickers on the hood. Wow. And, and, And that's what Jesus did that last week.
1: So what do you do Wednesday morning? Number one is keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get your eyes off. Don't let anything ever again get your eyes off Jesus. Second is this, don't let anything divide you during here whether you're married or at church when tough times hit run to your family don't run away and number 3 is this don't lose hope don't lose hope i love where this starts he says this i recall to my mind nobody lives well or loves well or leads well until they think well this i recall to my mind therefore i have hope and what he's basically saying is this. If you're looking at that and you're writing on something, take the word hope and circle it to mind. And what he's saying is this. If I put something in my mind, I will have more hope. Very good. In other words, hope is a result of some things you put into your mind. And so he's taking the promises of God and the love of God, and he's putting those back in his mind. Maybe the best way to describe it is this. If you've ever been to Manhattan, you've seen this. This is the Chase Manhattan Bank. This thing is just massive. It is a 60 story skyscraper. It's huge. Part of the story you may not know is this during construction, they discovered they were building it. And part of the foundation was actually quicksand for the 60 story skyscraper. And and if they didn't, if they didn't solve this, it was going to sink. It was going to topple over and it was going to destroy part of Manhattan. Okay. And they had, what do we do about this? Do we dismantle it? And then they tried something brilliant, and this is really important. They sank pipes deep underneath that into the foundation. They sank pipes in there, and through those pipes, they injected a solution of sodium, silicate, and calcium chloride. And they injected, and get this, in just a few days, that turned that quicksand into solid, watertight sandstone. They finished the building, and it has been safely standing ever since. That is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. If you will take the words of Scripture and inject them into your life, here's what will happen. If you inject this into your life, it will decrease anxiety. It will increase stability. It will draw you closer to God. It will give you strength to resist temptation you know you had. It will help you make wise decisions. You will be comforted, inject this into your life. You will be comforted when you're discouraged and it will impact every single relationship you have. Maybe the best way to wrap this up is by showing you my favorite clip of all time. This is Sherwood Carthen's last message at Bayside. And it's almost like he saved the best for his last message. And I remember, I can tell you where I was sitting on this Sunday night in the stands, taking notes on Sherwood. And what he said was so profound. I thought this, you just watch this over and over again. It'll prepare you for anything. And he talks about the power of injecting God's word. And so welcome to the last part of the last message Sherwood Carthon ever delivered at Bayside. Let God use this to touch your heart. Check this out.
5: The word has to be in you, and we've got to get an army of believers, a body of people who have memorized scripture, who have meditated on scripture, till it becomes part of who they are. So that when you go through situations, you won't be looking for a word, you'll have a word. I can't get a witness in here. See, 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 if we had been in the word, we'd realize that Isaiah 26 and 3 says, I'll keep you in perfect peace. They whose mind is stayed on me. We would know that Nehemiah 8 and 10 says the joy of the Lord is our strength. We know that Psalms 34 and 19 says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. We know that Psalms 30 and 5 says his anger isn't but for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may endure through the night, but joy is coming in the morning. If we were in the Word, we'd know that.
1: The power of God is always released. When you let go of discouragement and replace it with hope, and what I want to say is this, and when you do that, you discover that COVID can't stop compassion. And disruption can't stop discipleship. And a pandemic can't stop your purpose. And as my friend Ricky Jenkins says, and for God's sake, politics can't stop the power of God working in your life and in our future. All of God's people said, amen.
0: Well, powerful, challenging, encouraging, inspiring, all, all, all of those at the same time. Thanks again, Ray, for uh, being willing to jump out there and uh, you know do the cannonball first and really help us frame what is so hard for all of us in this season in terms of thinking about how we how we really walk as uh, as believers and as Christians and as leaders in this tough time so again we'd love for you to rate and subscribe and review this podcast tell your friends about it share it especially this particular message and if you want to watch the video of this message you can find it on the webinar series at thriveconference.org so go to thriveconference.org click on webinars you can find the full webinar and the full uh, video of this message that is available if you're if you're a visual learner you can watch it there but we want you to share this 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 is again, one of those conversations that we think will be helpful for a lot of people during the season. So think of someone you can text it to, think of someone that you can maybe send an email, include the link to this podcast conversation, and let's, uh, let's be lifters, let's be encouragers, let's be sharers of good news uh, during the season. So again, thanks for listening. Uh, we will uh, continue to bring you interviews, conversations, and content will help you to be a healthy leader and uh, lead a thriving church. So on behalf of Ray Johnston and the entire team, I'm Brad Lominick. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast.